Hi everyone, I'm Josh, and this is The Emerald, Currents and Trends Through a Mythic Lens, the podcast where we explore an ever-changing world and our lives in it through the lens of myth, story, and imagination. The Emerald, all that's happening on this green jewel in space. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. We've got a lot of new listeners these days, and I just want to encourage you new listeners, go back and check out some of the back catalog. We've got uh, over 50 episodes at this point, and I know some of you haven't listened to some of the older episodes, and I bet you'd like them, and they also provide a good amount of context for episodes like this. So if you haven't had a chance to make your way through some of the back episodes, I highly recommend it. So in the last episode, you heard me making a link between some words, trance, transformation, trauma, traverse. All of them share a simple linguistic root, tra, from the old Proto-Indo-European tra, to cross, to traverse, and also tra, to turn or twist. And this root, tra, finds its way into a lot of words, and these words interweave like crossing threads, threads which comes from that same root, tra, thread, sutras, as they're called in Sanskrit, where we get the word suture, threads that weave together and give insight into how human minds and bodies work, into what fundamentally drives us to want to cross, to travel, to travel across spaces, mental and material, across thresholds. Because we want to travel. We want to travel, transform, transport, trek, trapes, tramp, and truck our way across mental and material space. And this sound, tra, at least in Indo-European cultures, has been connected to this endeavor from the start. Tra is the root sound of pilgrims and boundary crossers. Travelers in transit cross borders when they travel, and cultural transgressors cross societal boundaries. You can hear tra, the root syllable of the boundary crosser, boldly declare itself in the trans movement and in transpersonal psychology. You can hear tra alive and well in the word transcendence, a word that both science and spiritual disciplines have embraced at one time or another transcending limitations, boundaries, physical, cultural, mental, spiritual, will be traversed. Too much emphasis on transcendence, of course, can wreak havoc on the material world. It can falsely separate minds from bodies. It can lead to transhumanist scientists who want to upload consciousness so that it lives on after the body dies. Eventually, who knows, transcending matter altogether. Too much emphasis on transcendence can place the divine very, very far away and make the lofty goal of human existence to get out, to transcend the mess down here. And, you know, who hasn't occasionally wanted to transcend the mess down here? But what if we have to deal with the mess, you know, to be present with the mess first? The response to scientific and religious doctrines of transcendence is an emphasis on embodiment, on being present with what is, on being instead of always seeking to rise above. Embodiment for many means letting go of this relentless need to transform and travel beyond and transcend. 
But that root word tra doesn't go away all that easily. We don't just get rid of the urge towards transcendence by sitting and being. Traditionally, right? Traditionally, we harness our innate need for travel, traverse, transformation through ritualized trance. We cross over in trance, which fulfills our need for crossing over. So maybe we don't have to build rockets to Mars or upload our consciousness to a hard drive. Trance is reparative travel—travel travel that heals and stitches together and reunites disparate parts of person and community and cosmos. In traditional trance cultures, trance practitioners travel. The Siberian shaman travels, climbing the World Tree, the Great Larch, to the very, very top. Riding a drum through the skies, diving into the deep pools of the underworld, indigenous cultures that we tend to label with the term embodied also tend to emphasize travel quite a bit, even seeming to favor leaving the body as part of their traditions of embodiment. Even the cultures most attuned to sustained presence, cultures with no stated goals of transcending or modifying their environment. With no models of relentless progress and societal transformation, still enact ritual travel and traverse. Quite possibly, they do it ritually, so they don't have to try to do it externally. They do it within their own somatic structure. So Wade Davis speaks of the shaman soaring on the wings of trance, without ever leaving the room. Tra, tra, trance takes us across. Across what? Across the chasm of our own consciousness. In neuroscience terms, there's a word for this type of consciousness travel. It's called transient hypofrontality. No surprise that our root cha is right there at the start of it. Transient hypofrontality. The thinking mind, the frontal brain, is bypassed. We cross over. We transit from the mind of thoughts and agitations into a simpler revelatory space in which time collapses. Thoughts leave, insights arrive. This traverse into trance is how we navigate a world that, at its heart, is what transformative. The world transforms. Everything moves, says Heraclitus. Nothing stands still. And once things move, lit by an inner transformative fire, blazing across eons, shape shifting into constellations, then things also die. Things give way to other things, and along the way there are impacts and trajectories that spin off these impacts. There are spirals and turnings. In fact, the word turning comes from the same root tra, and is the root of the word trauma. Once there is transformation, there's trauma. If things didn't transform, then there would be no need for the ritual traverse of trance to repattern trauma. But because the universe transforms, stuff collides into stuff and is never the same again. And we ourselves navigate a great traverse of birth and death, change and loss and transformation. We dwell in the realm of that which must be traversed. The thinking mind, which is our greatest help in identifying us as distinct selves, which delineates temporal movement for us and sets us up to succeed in linear time and space, also separates us from a basic feeling of unity. So, mythic traditions that speak of exile and humans as wayward travelers or journeyers seeking home 
may very well on one level be speaking of the biological blessing and curse of our frontal brains. It puts the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thing in a whole new light. We're exiled because of our relentless brains, and we've got to cross over. Right from the start, we're given something we need to traverse. Something must be crossed. The gulf, the sometimes infinite-seeming chasm between my relentless thinking mind and those times when I feel whole, connected, in the zone, needs to be traveled regularly. So this world, this life, presents to us a great traverse that traditionally is most commonly crossed through trance. And make no mistake, it is a travail. For all the emphasis we now place on comfort and stability, human beings, as Stephen Kotler tells us in his lecture Mapping Cloud Nine, human beings find flow states, states of travail, trance, and traverse, to be the most valuable, precious, and essential experiences of life. Reams of research now exist to back this up. We crave flow, the state of transient hypofrontality, and we put ourselves through the ringer to get there hanging off of mountains, blasting off in rockets, crossing oceans, when, ultimately, the goal of all that traversing might simply be to arrive, as T.S. Eliot said, at the place we started and see it for the first time. So trance, travel, ultimately becomes a way of traversing ourselves, which may be the greatest traverse there is. Tra, tra, tra. Tra is for travel and travail and transform. Tra is for tradition that helps us ritually traverse this realm of transmigratory existence. Tra is for transgression that helps us transform outdated tradition. Tra is for all those inner and outer traverses. Tra is for trance on the linguistics of crossing over, this time on the Emerald. Tra, la, la, tra, la, tra, la. La, tra, la, la, tra, la, tra, la, la, tra, la, la, tra. Tra is for travel, travel by train, tra, tra, tra. There was a recurring dream I used to have when I was a child, a landscape at night moving quickly by, dark trees interwoven with mists and silvery white fields under a cloud-covered moon. I was floating just above the landscape, in it but outside of it at the same time, the landscape sliding by, sliding by. One night, some years later, I was on an overnight train in India, staring out across the fields on a moonlit night. And there it was, unmistakable, the passing landscape from my childhood dream. I used to spend a lot of time on Indian trains. 27 hours Chennai to Varanasi, 17 hours Delhi to Jaisalmer, Many hours gazing across a continent to which I was a visitor. There, but not there. There's a trance-like quality to train travel. The repetitive rhythmic chug-chug of the engine and turning wheels. The low, mournful whistle sounding off and on and off and on. And most of all, perhaps, the feeling of being both inside and outside something at the same time. 
you're in the landscape, but you're outside the landscape at once, in the mists and outside the mists. You can feel the moonlight on the fields, but you're not of the fields. This is trance, personal and universal at once, here and there simultaneously. So the train is a threshold, threshold which also comes from that root, tra. Here and there, like poet Maggie Smith wrote in her poem, Threshold, quote, you want a door you can be on both sides of at once. You want to be on both sides of here and there, now and then. In the Harry Potter books, young Harry finds his way to Hogwarts, his wizarding school, by train. The train travel takes him across to the place where he has access to what? Knowledge. This is the traverse, the access to what Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel call information richness. It's no accident that access to this space for young Harry is a platform that is in between here and there. But Hagrid, there must be a mistake. This is platform nine and three quarters. There's no such thing, is there? Platform nine and three quarters, a threshold. You have to have courage to dive through the wall. On the other side, your journey begins. Now, all you've got to do is walk straight at the wall between platforms nine and ten. Best do it at a bit of a run if you're nervous. Good luck. Something about the train has always called to us. What is it? What is it specifically about the train that would warrant literally hundreds upon hundreds of blues and folk and country songs? Across the track blues, ain't no brake man, at the sound of the signal bell, beat it on down the line, big train blues, fast train through Arkansas, even a song called Another Train Song. Hundreds. Like, you know, songs like this. This train, it is bound to glory. other mode of transport receives the musical attention that the train does. There's a particular feeling on the train, it's the trance, the rhythm of the wheels upon the tracks. That melancholy feeling of simultaneously going towards something and leaving something behind. This is a feeling that is right at the heart of the human experience, arriving and leaving at once, uniting and separating into infinity, the great traverse. Interestingly enough, when the train first arrived, when the first tracks traversed the wide open spaces, people were of two minds as to how this new invention would impact the world as people knew it. The train was either something that would make us more present, able to bring our relatives close and shorten distances and hasten us towards salvation as barriers of time and space were shattered, or it was something that would make us less present. It would kill contemplation, said Proust. It was a massive distraction. For many of us now, a few hours on a train, neither here nor there, might sound wonderful. These days, a train journey might actually slow us down. Back then, people were concerned that the collapsing of time and space, the shortening and quickening of the world, would fundamentally collapse the human experience. As the world became just something to whiz by, all the specificities of place 
gave way to a homogenized sameness, and all the spaciousness that allows us to think and learn and dream would be collapsed too. Tra la la tra la tra la. For hundreds of thousands of years, human experience moved at the pace of walking. If we wanted game, we walked to get it. If we wanted greater perspectives, we walked to gain them. If we needed a new home, we got there by walking. While walking, I am but a simple gaze," said Frederic Gros in a philosophy of walking. Spaces navigated by walking are different than spaces navigated by horse and buggy, by car, by train, by plane, by rocket ship. Walking, with its repetitive somatic simplicity, is trance-inducing, and the walking trance is an invitation to a very specific place, somewhere. Not the somewhere of just anywhere, but the somewhere that is synonymous with presence. Somewhere is a very specific place, but to get there takes a traverse. The youngest daughters of the fairy tales traverse the deep dark forest. The journey starts at a threshold, staring into a place we know we're going but aren't yet in, and then, the first step, the forest is entered, and what is revealed? A world in which everything is hyper-present, everything talks, everything is alive. Stones speak, hedges move, pools demand attention, information richness. The trance, the traverse, the transformation in the forest took me where, deep into the mycelial physiology of nature, into its web of relationships. Into its very specific medicines and all the precise shapes of each leaf, and the great traverse of the leaf cutter ants across the forest floor, the trance took me somewhere, a place of information and immediacy, somewhere. But now, as we collapse material time and space, we collapse somewheres into anywheres and anythings, and then the trance becomes an invitation where to the oblivion of anywhere. Traveling to the other side of the world in a flash, only to seek out familiar comforts, eat at the same chain restaurants one has at home. The modern traveler may say they crave somewhere, but they may just be looking for anywhere. For those who zealously hoped that the train would lead us to salvation, the rude wake-up call is that collapsing material time and space doesn't have an endpoint. Once we can get anywhere faster, all we want to do is to keep going anywhere, faster, and that acceleration doesn't lead to a destination, but rather exponentially limits our opportunities to go somewhere. Tra la la, tra is for traverse, the great traverse. How many miles? How many cliff faces? How many wide canyons and steep valleys and great glacial moraines? How many deserts and wastelands? How many skies have we traversed? How many times have our ancestors circled the world? Circled the world, my friends. Circled the world. Round the world. Round the world. Yeah! Yeah!
I remember one particular hair-raising traverse in the Kluwani Range in the Yukon Territory, nothing but a walking stick in my hand, and suddenly I'm sliding down a snowshoe towards a thousand-foot cliff. What happened? Well, I'm here today to tell about it, but I remember the feeling, the yawning abyss, the moment that seemed to last forever, the autopilot that kicked in, the effortless action to self-arrest, followed by a flood of nectar, the flow. It's no accident, of course, that the modern scientific study of trance and flow states came from a Swiss alpinist who fell during a traverse. Albert Heim, who fell into oblivion and experienced what? Temporal collapse? angelic music, floods of insight, emerging of self and world. He stumbled, literally, upon the heart of it all, the reason we circle the world, the reason we leave to arrive to leave to arrive over and over and over again. The Traverse. Do you ever wonder why extreme mountain climbers do what they do? Why do they make such traverses? subject themselves to fantastic dangers, live on the edge of oblivion, risk exposure to extreme elements, brutal sun rays and bitter cold, hypoxia, blistering, bleeding, swelling, visual and auditory hallucinations. Many alpinists recount having photorealistic hallucinations of other climbers walking next to them. One time it was a husband and wife climbing team. A Tibetan woman accompanied them up the entire mountain for a week. They both saw her. Why do it? For the accomplishment? The accomplishment is an idea. The trance is the feeling underneath that drives it. They do it for the trance. It's the traverse. And the traverse, whether in prolonged trance ritual or when deliberately subjecting oneself to the pain of nature, is a travail. Extreme trail runner Richard Asquith explains, quote, It is necessary to get cold or wet or lost, or exhausted, or bruised by rocks, or covered in mud. The point is not the exertion involved, it's the degree of immersion or involvement with the landscape. You need to feel it, to interact with it, to be in it, not just looking from the outside. You need to lose yourself, for it is then that you are most human. Tra, la, la, tra, la, tra, la. Losing oneself transient hypofrontality, losing oneself, the defining quality of trance. Reinhold Mesner, the climbing machine, the first man to summit all 8,000-meter peaks in the world without oxygen, said this mid-traverse, quote, I am nothing more than a single, narrow, gasping lung floating over the mists and summits. The lengths people go, the traverses we undertake, all to cross over into the place where the nectars flow, where the self is swallowed whole. Nectar. Nectar. Tr. Tra. Tra. The tr in nectar is a direct descendant of the same root tra. So the word nectar has the sense of crossing over in it. But crossing over what? Nectar. It's the same neck in necromancy. In necrotic magic, it means death. The word nectar literally means to cross over death. The nectar is the transcendence of the small self, the initiation, the moment in which one dies before one dies, and that moment is accompanied by a cascade of flow. Nectar. Nectar. 
All the hero's quests of claiming nectar, all the long, arduous treks and travels to find that bubbling pot or flowing stone or honeyed dew or oozing point, these are stories of the Great Traverse, of finding the transient hypofrontality, crossing the Great Cerebral Divide. The yogis will directly tell you that this is what the myths and practices are about, traversing the great ocean of consciousness to claim the nectar, traversing thoughts until arrives the thoughtless state, traversing, transmuting, distracted thought. The small self dies, one merges with universal flow. Liquid shadow and dappled light at the mountaintop, Asquith described. Trance, nectar, all from the same root. Tra, across. Tra, 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 tra. Yogis, of course, cross that great traverse and claim the nectar without ever leaving the meditation mat. For a climber, the traverse is far deadlier, and death is an undeniable part of the climbing allure. For death is the ultimate traverse. Some, like Alex Honnold with his almost non-functional amygdala, have to scale vertical cliff walls without ropes to feel the nectar. A strange affliction. We benefit from watching and wonder from the outside, but who would want to have to go to such lengths to find nectars that are imminently available to others through an hour of devotional singing? Don't get me wrong, I admire climbers. I've done some technical climbing in my day. I too feel at home in the mountains, and I cherish the nectars that come after great traverses. But there is a point where the need for traverse becomes something else. Reinhold Mesner says, I'm not Superman, I just have the ability to focus on a point and reach that objective. But then he says something very interesting. He says, and then I'm on to the next point, and the next, and the next. When does it end? What is the relationship, one might ask, between these great human feats and perpetual restlessness? The nagging need to traverse. Most traditional cultures, though they live immersed in nature, don't place such emphasis on extreme exploration. In many such cultures, the sacred mountains are specifically places not to set foot, not to travel materially, not to disturb. And these same cultures have deep practices of ritualized traverse. So they don't have to go to the top of the icy windblown mountain to find the nectar, perhaps because they know there is a greater traverse, a wider traverse, a deeper traverse, a traverse far more deadly than the treacherous mountain traverses, one whose implications reverberate through every corner of our lives. And for those who understand the implications of the inner traverse, no outer traverse will ever seem as consequential again. There's a verse from the Bhakti Sutras. It says, Satarati Satarati Salokam Satariati. Tarati, there's that root. Tra again, tarati, to cross. It says the bhakta, the devotee, crosses the torrent. The bhakta crosses the torrent. The bhakta helps everyone to cross. What is the 
torrent that the devotee crosses. What is this great tumult that the sutra is speaking of? This tumult that makes vast earthly traverses seem tiny in comparison. The torrent. The torrent of our own minds. The torrent of the frontal brain. The torrent of agitated, discursive thought. And it's not a joke, this torrent. It's not a joke. We're so used to hearing about it, the monkey mind, the chatter, that it can be like, oh yeah, that, the monkey mind, that old thing. There's even a movement these days to reclaim the monkey mind. You know, I have a right to be agitated, the world is agitating, and, and it is, and we all navigate it as best we can. We all navigate the torrent that inundates us from all sides. The torrent of TikTok and targeted ads, the torrent of opinion, the torrent of abstract ideation, the torrent of ever-shifting crypto prices, the torrent of pharma, the pearlescent flood of SSRIs and benzos, the frothing TV heads spouting ceaseless diatribes of blame, the torrent of self-help solutions and neo-shamanic certifications and psychedelic monetization, communal fragmentation. And did you know that there's serious research being done now to see if advertisers can learn to advertise to you in your dreams? The torrent, the torrent, the torrent of ideologies, the hair trigger, the frenzied mind, the extremist, the one in isolation, depressed, inundated, drowning in the torrent all the people repeating the same sufferings over and over again, putting themselves through the ringer again and again, and what did I do? I stepped into the same mess again, and then I did it again, crushed by the weight of agitation, the torrent that separates me and you, me from myself, myself from the spiraling river course of ancestry and nature and time, the torrent, and the real implication of the torrent is this. I could spend my whole life at the whim of agitated compulsive thought, thinking the manic thought and me are one and the same thing, never even pausing to think that there was something more. I could spend my whole life scratching away at an illusion. I could spend this entire existence convinced that accumulating stuff is the purpose of life. I could spend my whole life blaming others as enemies. I could spend my whole life taking down others on the internet and thinking I was actually doing something. I could spend my whole life in the frenetic carnival funhouse echo chamber of my smartphone apps, staring at my smartphone apps, staring into the torrent. I could spend my whole life in someone else's mind, subsumed by a torrent not even of my own making, blown by disparate winds, because I never even knew that there was another way. Very, very early on, human beings realized this. The attention is always seeking to cross over, always looking to traverse, always looking for what's next, always looking to land somewhere. And when it lands, off to something else, off to something else again. Off to something else again. Bzzz, the torrent goes. Bzzz, whoosh, whoosh, bzzz, like mythical Io's fly, pursuing her across continents with its relentless buzzing. Bzzz, saying, you're not good enough, Io. You did it this time, Io. Whoops, I forgot to have a successful career, Io. What's next and is it Friday yet, Io? My life would be totally fine if it weren't for the insert object of blame here, Io. Bzzz, bzzz, bzzz. But the Bhakta crosses the torrent. The Bhakta crosses the torrent.
with devotion we cross. Singing and remembering we cross. Singing and remembering we cross. The trance is our traverse across the torrent. Tra, la, la. So this is the point when some might ask, all this talk of traverse and travel and crossing over isn't the point to just be present, to be embodied, to be here and now. And what's interesting is that many cultures that practice what we call embodiment use the very specific language of leaving the body rather than hanging out in it. Flying, journeying, traveling. Embodied Kalahari trance dancers speak of flying out of their bodies climbing threads of light from the nape of the neck up. Diane Ackerman describes ecstasy as being flung outside of oneself. Ekstasos ecstasy in Greek trance ritual means to stand outside the self. Indian trance practitioners say they are taken away, seized. How does that mesh with embodiment doctrine? How does the wild dissociative trance of Brazilian candomblé sit with be here now? Where does Ibn al-Arabi's treatise The Secret of Voyaging, which illuminates dozens of types of spiritual travel, meet Zen master Dogen, who said, if you can't find the truth right here and now, where do you expect to find it? For that matter, how do we even reconcile Dogen with himself, the guy who told us to practice with urgency and also told us to do nothing at all? And here's a radical idea. There's not a conflict between just being and journeying. The two coexist at once. To be present requires traveling. And whether you're a non-dualist who says all it takes to find our way home is sitting and realizing our own true nature that's already there to begin with, or a dualist who sees the human journey in terms of exile and return, the journey is exactly the same. We have to cross the frontal cortex in its cacophony of agitated currents to find a kinesthetic embodiment that is a state of presence. But that presence only arrives after we make a great traverse. Here and now is a stream we have to enter. 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 Tra. It requires a traverse. Have you noticed that the word entrance and entrance are the exact same word? Have you made this great traverse? Have you crossed the forest and found the deep well of somewhere? Did it feel a little like this from the Chuma Sanketa Prakasha, quote, From the intensity of his gaze falling upon me, I immediately toppled to the earth like a tree cut at its root. Lying there, I was suddenly overcome with a state unsurpassable, unparalleled, not dependent on external or internal faculties, incomprehensible to the mind, free from fear and pain, transcending the power of the dichotomies of time, pervading yet transcending the radiant abodes, unlocalizable, neither instantaneous nor sequential, 
overflowing with a flood of wonder and supreme joy beyond touch, beyond bliss, beyond possession or relation, free from confusion about existence and non-existence, thoughtful yet thoughtless, by nature free of cognition and the stain of latent traces thereof. In that state I remained motionless for a long time. Pervading yet transcending, neither instantaneous or sequential, here and there at once, we want to be at the threshold arriving and departing, wrapped in rapture, carried off and totally focused at the same time. The modern mindfulness meditation movement has encouraged a whole lot of people at this point to just sit, sit with what is, let it all drift by like clouds in the clear blue sky. And I know that these practices have helped a lot of people, but it's also worth understanding this. Traditionally, the practice of just sitting was part of a much larger framework of practices of traverse, in which the cortex had to be shut down before you ever took the cushion. At the Zen monastery I stayed at in Japan as a child, the monks woke at 3 a.m. and did two hours of vigorous calisthenics and chanting before taking the meditation seat. In traditional yoga, meditation comes at the end of a series of lifestyle practices and physical practices that prepare the vessel for meditation. The Zen practice of shikintaza, direct contemplation, sitting with what is, is practiced by those who already have made a significant traverse through rigorous physical practice, through singing, vocalization, codes of conduct, lifestyle, diet, so that when one shows up on the cushion, one's mind isn't going haywire. It's not the same as showing up with a brain full of internet anxiety and calendar appointments and postmodern advertising gunk and expecting the mind to magically clear. If meditation as it is currently practiced is torture for you, and we've all felt that torture at one time or another, it's because it was never meant to be practiced as just you alone with your thoughts. It was meant to be practiced within a context of movement, of sweat, of vibrant invocation. Invocation. When we recognize that the torrent is vibrational in nature, right? The torrent is vibrational cacophony. The torrent is radiostatic. Then one of the primary ways to forge a bridge across the torrent is sound. Historically, the crossing over, the traversing of the mind, the adhering of the mind to a path across the torrent is done through what? Mantra. Mantra. Tra, tra, tra. Mantra. The instrument of the mind, the mantra, crosses the mind, crosses the torrent. Head full of vibrational static, it's simple. Sing. Hum. Smooth out the edges, mm, bind the floating particulates, weave a thread, a thread, tra, across the traverse, tra, that takes us into trance, tra, mantra. So if you listen to this for a bit, listen.
When you come out the other side, you may feel like a traverse has occurred. Something has changed. The harmonic architecture of the body-mind is different than it was a few minutes ago. We've traversed the torrent with sound. Mantra is repetitive invocation, often combined with repetitive movement of the thumb and forefinger over a loop of rosary beads, a mala. The loop is continuous and each mantra is discrete. Each mantra is a step on a path, a trail that leads where? Right where T.S. Eliot said it would, back where we started from, only this time having crossed the torrent, only this time with eyes that are both outside and inside at the same time. The recitation of the mantra is the path of the mind, circular, whole, continuous, yet in need of constant pilgrimage to rediscover and replenish itself and repair itself with sound over and over again. Pilgrimage. Pilgrimage, or in Sanskrit, yatra. Yatra, tra, tra, the great traverse. It's pretty rare to see pilgrims in the modern-day United States, but strangely, I happen to live in one area where there actually is a strong tradition of pilgrimage. Every Easter, Latino Catholics march dozens, sometimes hundreds of miles to reach the Santuario de Chimayo, a little Catholic chapel in remote Rio Riba County. The Santuario, some say, has soil that heals. There are crutches lining the walls, and it's in a little valley with a little creek, a little oasis of green in the midst of parched desert hills, lit by harsh, transcendent light. So every Easter, if you're driving north on 285, you can see pilgrims on the roadside, framed against Buffalo Thunder Casino or Cocoman Liquors, heads bent, purposefully walking, step by step by step. In India, this sight is commonplace. Pilgrims on the side of the road, barefoot, sometimes carrying red tinseled flags, carrying the banner of the mother goddess, the banner of the lion rider, who rides her devotees in the state of trance. And they sing, lion rider, lion rider, all the world is a pilgrim whose destination is your door. You see pilgrims on roadsides passing through towns, on superhighways. Pilgrimage routes hundreds of miles long crisscross the Indian subcontinent. Some festivals attract hundreds of thousands of pilgrims. Some fast the whole length of the pilgrimage. Some crawl on the ground the entire way. Some do full prostration the entire way. Some carry heavy offering altars. There is singing, there is dancing, stories are told. Goddess-specific pop music blares. Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims all to see a single stone or to bathe in a single river or to honor great celestial movements above with the simple soles of their feet. There's something about the sight of a pilgrim on the side of the highway. Because, you know, if they were just out for a walk... There on the asphalt and the heat and gravel and broken glass and discarded trash, you might say, strange place for a walk. You might say, they could be walking anywhere, why would they walk here? But they're not walking anywhere. They're walking somewhere. They're walking in a river of story, of rapturous focus, in a stream of ancestral footsteps. They're in a rhythm. They're on a trajectory. Trajectory. On a well-worn trail of trance, 
The sweat of all the prior pilgrims mixes with asphalt and gravel and dirt and helps make that trail somewhere instead of anywhere. Places are transmuted through pilgrimage, as places in us are transmuted through practice. The individual pilgrim surrenders to a larger flow the minute they undertake the pilgrimage. To set foot on the pilgrimage is to enter the nectar of trance, to surrender to a larger river, to lose the self. Because while the individual is doing the pilgrimage, the individual is but a single node in a much larger flow. Many pilgrims feel this trance the moment they begin pilgrimage. For those who can't physically traverse, trek, travel, the pilgrimage happens inside with every breath. As Trappist monk Thomas Merton said, quote, The geographical pilgrimage is the symbolic acting out of an inner journey. The inner journey is the interpolation of the meanings and signs of the outer pilgrimage. One can have one without the other. It's best to have both. At the heart of the Kundalini traditions of India is the story of the goddess Kubjika, whose story is one of a great pilgrimage, a great traverse. Her body dismembered and scattered here and there, she reincarnates and traverses the Indian subcontinent, visiting all the places where her former body was scattered. She must travel to each of the 51 places where the parts of her former self have landed and unify them sanctify them, gather them together, to reclaim, in essence, the wholeness of her body, the wholeness of consciousness. The purpose of the pilgrimage is so that she might find union again, so that she might join with her lover, but that rejoining requires pilgrimage first. So she worships before the ocean. She draws the course of rivers with her big toe. She fills the world with flames from her halo. She withdraws into caves for years of meditation and assumes the form of the goddess of the shade. She visits forests and sacred confluences. She names places and things, just as she herself is named by her deeds. Her protocol of reunification is similar at each of her pilgrimage stops. She sanctifies and reaffirms and sings to the forces of nature at each place. She performs ritual and joins with the local spirits. The ritual union is the transmission of the goddess's power to that place. It consecrates the parts of her former body, reassembles them like restringing a broken rosary. One can picture her, beautiful and terrifying, though perhaps now clad in the humble garb of transmigratory reality. Lighting lamps offering flowers, worshipping at shrines that are, in fact, parts of her own former body. The goddess travels the smooth white landscapes of the sacrum, all the way up the central column to the crown. Each center is awakened by her presence, like dusty and long-ignored shrines being re-adorned with flowers, with candles, with vermilion. Microcosmic and macrocosmic anatomy meet. Each anatomical place on the body has a place on the map of India, and each holy site is ritually installed upon the body of the practitioner during meditation. So pilgrimage, yatra, becomes an internal practice of meditation. The breath is the pilgrim. The awareness is the pilgrim. It re-energizes old pathways. Even though the end of the journey is union, it is not a practice that is just about sitting 
it recognizes that union is reached through traverse, through pilgrimage. Tantric practice contains times of sitting, just sitting with what is, but also contains practice upon practice of ritualized traverse, constructing architecture of the consciousness, crossing great divides, sending the mind somewhere instead of just sitting as it goes anywhere. So mantra, yatra, this ritualized embodied traverse, is a way of dealing with a mind that perpetually wants to cross over. This is an intricate way of saying that if we feel caught in the torrent, try walking somewhere and singing. Materialist modern culture finds it difficult to fathom that practices of inner traverse could satisfy the human need for outer traverse, and that a person that practices traversing the great ranges of self, diving into the rivers of self, scaling the mountains of self, might not need to go to Everest or Mars to feel whole. Instead, we in the modern world loosely speak of just being as the be-all end-all of spiritual practice, and all the while the potency and potential of minds that perpetually want to cross over into trance is being harnessed by companies that seem to understand the nature of mind better than the mindfulness community does. The mind wants to cross over, and modern technology gives it a 100,000 opportunities to do so every day. Saying, just be in the face of a thousand coders at big tech companies who are vying for your attention, is like holding up a thimble full of water to a forest fire. We need to recognize how alluring trance is, how often it is available, and how difficult it is to notice when we ourselves are lured across. Have you ever been on a trip? Tra, tra, trip. A road trip? Tell me then, on those long, lonesome country roads, what is the purpose of a billboard? The purpose of a billboard is very specific. The purpose of a billboard is to take the mind somewhere other than where it actually is. If you've ever been to a little town called Wall, South Dakota, you know that there is a famous drugstore there called Wall Drug. It's a pretty unremarkable store, except for the billboards leading up to it. They start 650 miles away, just one every few miles or so. And then soon, there's more of them, and more. Wall drug, wall drug, wall drug. Soon, it's a line of billboards, one right after the other. The landscape around is nondescript, barren, nothing there at all. The billboards offer an invitation. We will take you somewhere. That little journey is trance. It's a crossing over. It takes the mind on a journey from barrenness to the promise of what? Waldrug, where, if nothing else, you can buy a t-shirt that says you've been to Waldrug. A few kitschy billboards in the South Dakota Badlands seems harmless enough. But what happens when the majority of our daily interaction as humans involves crossing over into trance? We now navigate an endless stream of billboards that advertise other places than where we are now. What happens to a world in which our attention is perpetually somewhere else, in which all threshold spaces have been collapsed? Byung-Chul Han says this, quote, There is no in-between anymore. Human life is impoverished when all forms of in-between are removed from it. The thresholds which separate the here from there, the visible from the invisible, 
the alien from the familiar, all disappear. The absence of thresholds results from the compulsion to make everything visible and available. The human being is no longer a threshold creature. The effect of intervals is not only that they delay, they also have the function of ordering and structuring. Without intervals, there is only an unstructured, directionless, side-by-side confusion of events. End quote. This is the reality of the power of traverse. Most of our waking lives are now governed by trance, and we don't even realize it. We are utterly ensconced in trance. It's affecting our behaviors, our priorities, our interactions, our social movements, our relationships, our politics, everything. Every aspect of our lives. And it's mostly happening through one little trance induction device. One little portable traverse that has utterly reshaped human consciousness in the course of less than two decades. Smartphones are transinduction technology. They take us across. They allow us to be on both sides of the door at once. See that man? He's in the restaurant eating dinner with his wife. But he's not in the restaurant eating dinner with his wife. He's both at once. He's in trance. He's on a pilgrimage with no end. Not a pilgrimage somewhere, but a pilgrimage to a perpetual anywhere. An anywhere that doesn't care where he ends up. Depressed, anxious, radicalized. As long as we can sell him stuff along the way. Technology invites us to cross over every minute. But to cross over into what? You tell me what your crossover of choice is. The slow, distracted Instagram scroll? The fiery rhetoric of a Facebook comment thread that gives you that reward feeling of standing up for what you believe? The frenetic amusement of TikTok? Or is it the intriguing blend of trance trauma that comes with the constant absorption of streams of bad news? Low-grade trauma from the constant barrage of bad news on the internet takes social media users into a dissociative trance. It's addictive. There's part of us that feeds off of it. We like it because, again, as with all trance practices, we can be on both sides of the door at once. I'm here, but I'm not really here. How can I be? There are bombs dropping in Gaza. There are buildings collapsing in Miami. I'm here, but I'm there. Of course, our thinking mind tells us it's care and concern that drives us. And we do care. And we absolutely should do something about it all. But what percent of the time that we spend in the internet trance is actually spent doing something about anything? And how much of that time is driven, rather, by a deeper, liminal somatics? It goes far beyond genuine care and concern for the world into something else, an addictive trance that allows us to transcend the day-to-day by living simultaneously here and also on the global sacrifice altar. We no longer get our trance from the pinpoint focus and broad field vision of the eland hunt or from crossing the threshold of unfamiliar dark caves that might offer shelter or that might be the place where we get eaten alive. We get our trance from living in the digital threshold space of apocalypse, which combines a numbing sedentarism, how many hours a day in front of the screen, be honest, with low-grade trauma in the form of constant illuminated reminders of how it is in the other world outside. And we use that enticing combination to catapult us into the much-sought-after state of presence-absence. Only with no eland at the end, no shelter, 
no sacred stone of pilgrimage, nothing but an endless stream of content generated by other souls on the trauma wheel. Only with the knowledge that our presence absence somewhere, somehow, is being turned by someone far away into money. In this state, the other who doesn't agree with us, or the thing we must fix, becomes the transinductor, the thing to take us across. Our eyes shift, our bodies lean forward, while we find a linguistics of presence to justify it all. I'm just paying attention, we say, or it's important to be present with what's going on. Be present, it sounds good. I mean, only spiritual bypassers would say it's all love and light when the world is falling apart, right? Sure, except there's only one problem. Our internet activism and its low-grade trauma trance is quite possibly another form of bypassing, too. How does your body feel after four hours of it? How embodied are we after an afternoon of digitally pointing out how much more unembodied other people or social groups are than we are? What is it we're really craving with all of it? Is it making a difference in the material world? We could do that with two hours of volunteering per day. So are we more concerned with difference-making or with the addictive, glowing lure of always crossing over? And this gets to questions that live right at the somatic heart of why human beings do things at all. Human beings do things for somatic reasons. Far beyond abstract political objectives, we war for somatic reasons. We think we adopt technologies for convenience. We don't. We don't spend eight hours a day behind a computer because it's such a good calculator. Yes, the computer happens to make a lot of things more efficient. But if it weren't somatically addictive, if it didn't provide a luminous trap for our attention, if it wasn't so entrapping, in fact, that it literally posturally bends us around it, we would have gotten rid of it a long time ago. We don't keep things around because they're convenient. We keep them around because of how they make us feel. If they charm us with luminous focal points, if they take us across thresholds, if they keep our attention wrapped, if they fulfill our great need to be traveling even as we're here, if they are finely crafted instruments of presence absence, we gravitate to things that take us across. Trains, travel, trances, traverses, travails, trauma, transcendence ideologies, sutras, tantras, mantras, tra, la, la. The human organism desperately wants to be taken across. I remember sitting at a concert after party in New York a long time ago while magician David Blaine did card tricks for a group of four of us for over an hour. It was honestly one of the most mind-blowing evenings of my life, like one trick after another that had no possible explanation that I could think of. I spoke pretty flabbergasted to a magician friend of mine a few months later, telling him what I'd seen, to which he replied, Trust me, you saw exactly what you wanted to see. We want to be taken across. We want the spell to work. We want to be tricked. Tra, tra, trick. The trick is the trance, and if your tribe doesn't think it's been tricked and it's somehow free of the trance, well, the trick's on the tribe. Tra-la-la. The point is, trances are everywhere. Our lives are governed by them. Choose your trances wisely. 
If I say, I'm just practicing being present, then check my phone a hundred times a minute. If I get into long diatribes on group pages on Facebook about how psychedelic journeying is a distraction from the true practice of being in the present moment, well, tricks on me because I'm on Facebook. I'm not in the present moment. I have chosen to go on a journey myself. I, too, have crossed over. I, too, am in trance. Choose your trances wisely. The world of pre-programmed space that is absent of thresholds, absent of in-between spaces, absent of time spent in actual relation with cosmos and in states of ritual traverse, risks becoming what Ibn Arabi called the pathless desert. The footsteps of ancestors that have gone before us, the thud, thud, thud of their feet, their navigations of spaces of traverse, the songs they sang to get them over, form paths for us to follow, trails. Tra is for trail. Those who came before us have mapped out pilgrimage routes that help us navigate interior and exterior traverses. They left tracks. In the modern world, we're usually less concerned with time-honored pilgrimage routes than we are with being trailblazers. But have you ever tried to blaze a trail? I've done it. On snowshoes in waist-deep powder, it is hard, hard work. It lends itself to futile effort and to getting lost and to having to go all the way back and start over again. When we recognize the value of well-worn trails to our journey of traverse, then we form traditions, which provide a way to cross over years and geographies and minds and hearts with shared knowledge of how to do so, singing the stories of those who did and their travails. And how do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word. Tradition! 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 We have traditions for everything. How to sleep, how to eat, how to work, how to wear clothes. We are, as founder of modern psychology William James noted, in between summiting mountain peaks, huffing nitrous oxide, and going on mescaline journeys, we are creatures of habit. Traditions exist to harness the power of habit, the tendency towards ritual repetition, in order to offer ritual access to the great traverse of trance. Tradition puts up boundaries and delineations, often necessary ones, that are demarcated the same way as a trail is. If you want to get to this place, go this way. See the path? But what happens when traditions lose their ability to transport, when all that remains is empty ritual and it doesn't lead somewhere or even anywhere? What happens, as Brian Murarescu explores in The Immortality Key, when we suddenly realize that all we did was drink grape juice and eat a cracker and we didn't transform? We place boundaries to give shape to our minds and lives, and then, when those boundaries become limitations, then comes the transgressor to tear the boundary down. Tra, tra, tra is for transgress. There's always been a tug-of-war between tradition and transgression. The Zen stories are full of teachers who transgress the traditional rules, much to the astonishment of their shocked disciples and then revealed how transgressing the rules was actually the key to their enlightenment. You know, Zen master Ikkyu, who burned his enlightenment certificate and said, look for me in the whorehouses. 
Modern practitioners love these stories because we seem to like to jump right over the whole rules part, right to being the transgressor. You know, partying is my spiritual practice, right? Of course, if I skip the rules and go right to the transgression and I don't get the benefit of all the years of actual practice of tradition as a means to transformation, then I might simply be further embedding old patterns instead of actually transforming them. But that's another story. Of course, spiritual tradition and transgression ultimately seek to get us to a place that is beyond boundary, to source. The divine in mystic vision creates all temporal and spatial boundaries while simultaneously crossing all boundaries and is ultimately boundless and beyond boundary. This is why the divine in alchemical Christian vision is often shown as a hermaphrodite, half king, half queen, the complete transcendence of opposites. The alchemical wedding to find this union of opposites, the transcendent vision beyond boundary, is something that is obtained in states of trance. One has to cross a threshold to experience boundaryless space. In the realm beyond boundary, gendered visions of the divine dissolve. Gods and goddesses as we see them are for us, one of my teachers in India once said, to personally relate to. But ultimately, the source energetics of the cosmos are beyond gender. In material terms, the crossing of gender boundaries is a prevalent and important topic in our world today. The trans movement seeks to make mainstream what was once popularly considered transgressive. The word transvestite, the old word for trans, literally means to cross dress, transvest. Dionysus in the Greek traditions was a famous transvestite, a cross-dresser. He pushed gender boundaries. In India, there's a vision of Shiva and Shakti in which they occupy one body, half male, half female. This is a vision that transcends cultural roles in favor of that which is beyond boundaries. But materially and culturally, the mainstream embrace of what was formerly transgressive brings with it interesting questions. Most basically this, when what was formerly transgressive becomes mainstream, then something else will inevitably become transgressive. What will it be? If inclusivity has become a social mandate and that mandate becomes a boundary that people are expected not to cross, then there will inevitably be transgressors who will cross that boundary. And we're seeing that now with the rise of the alt-right and some of the uglier forms of social transgression. Inevitably, if what was once transgressive no longer crosses boundaries, then it loses some of its trance-inducing spell. For example, why does rock and roll not send us into a trance like it used to? And trust me, it used to. It used to send thousands of people screaming and fainting and dropping out of school and raising the middle finger to familial tradition. Rock and roll changed millions of lives with its transgressive, trance-inducing power. But once it's become background shopping music at Target, once it crosses no boundaries, then it has lost its power to deliver across thresholds. So what will be the new transgressions? What will take us over in this new world. What journeys await? What great traverses? As we enter the age of rockets that span great spaces and space and time are collapsed and augmented and virtual realities offer transportive mindscapes and manufactured relationships, 
It may be that the true transgressor to come is like Neo who unplugs himself entirely from the Matrix. And the red pill he swallows may not be the awakening to some great conspiracy theory, but the invitation to put down his phone and return to inner rituals of traverse. This doesn't mean I'm advocating an absence of technology. It means a technology built around the understanding that where we take minds, where we carry each other across, and what we carry each other across to is very, very important. There is a profound qualitative difference between the traverse that takes us to the pilgrimage stone and the traverse that takes us to the digital equivalent of Waldrug, South Dakota. We can reorient our traverses around pilgrimage stones, around neural and material ancestral trails that lead somewhere instead of anywhere. We can reorient our traverses around songs of reciprocity and revelations of interconnectedness and around good warm hearths and tables that welcome all to eat and creating sacred groves that keep our forests cool and green. The bhakta, the one with devotion, they say, transforms all places into sacred places. All places into sacred places. We can be agents of this change. For the traverse of the inner space is far, far richer than we often dream. There are great traverses that await. Traverses whose destination is home. And I'm saying this to my sons and my granddaughters-to-be, if they might listen one day. I'm saying, never cease the journeying, but walk a road to goodness. There are world trees to be climbed and clear springs to be swung. There are western seas and white shores and far green countries under swift sunrises. There are journeys that await, journeys that await. Do not ask me where I'm going, Dogen said. As I travel in this limitless world, where every step I take is my home. May every step be home on this, the Great Traverse. This episode contains reference to many books, articles, etc. These include Crystal Horizon, The First Solo Ascent of Everest by Reinhold Mesner, Explorers of the Infinite by Maria Coffey, Thomas Merton on Pilgrimage to the Holy Land, Mapping Cloud Nine by Stephen Kotler, Exquisite Love, Translations of the Bhakti Sutras by Bill Mahoney, Return of the King by J.R.R. Tolkien, The Immortality Key by Brian Murorescu, Little Gidding, the poem by T.S. Eliot, The Scent of Time by Byung-Chul Han, Various Railroad Songs, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone by J.K. Rowling, Threshold, a poem by Maggie Smith, A Philosophy of Walking by Frederic Gros, Volta do Mundo Camará, a capoeira song from Brazil, The Song Fitz Pleasure by Alt-J, The Song Tradition from the musical Fiddler on the Roof. The songs Soul Captives and This Train is Bound to Glory by the Whalers, featuring Bunny Whaler on vocals. The Chuma Sanketa Prakasha, translated by Harish Wallace. Tra Tra Tra, the song by Emphasis. The Secret of Voyaging by Ibn al-Arabi. Journey in the World of the Tantras by Mark Diskowski. 
The Varieties of Religious Experience by William James, and of course, The Matrix, the 1999 film by the Wachowski brothers. The first one is great. The second one both created and confirmed my hypothesis that no film should ever feature a post-apocalyptic rave scene ever. I'm offering an ongoing mythic study group for patrons of the podcast. If you're interested in becoming a patron and taking part in these twice-monthly sessions, you can go to patreon.com slash theemeraldpodcast. That's patreon.com slash theemeraldpodcast. For as low as six bucks a month, you can get access to two two-hour conversation sessions in which we talk about the myths on a little bit more of a deeper level. And there's other benefits that patrons enjoy as well. Thank you to all of you who responded when I inquired about your interest in a year-long immersive study course in the myths. This is something that I'm going to be exploring this fall, and if you're interested in the way this sounds, you can shoot me an email at josh.shrei at gmail.com. That's J-O-S-H dot S-C-H-R-E-I at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, may our lives be driven forth by imagination, vision, and wonder.